The only question remaining to be answered is how is Jesus great? Is Jesus great because he performs remarkable miracles? Is Jesus great because he's a marvelous teacher? Is Jesus great because he appears in glory with Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration? No. Any old God can do that. Jesus is a different kind of great. He's the kind of great that goes to Jerusalem, suffers for us, dies for us, and rises again on the third day. Five hundred years ago, Martin Luther would gather around the kitchen table with friends and theologians to talk about the Bible, theology, current events, and anything else. These discussions were called table talks. No matter what the question, the conversations always centered around Jesus and his promise of the forgiveness of sins. Table Talk Radio takes up the conversation, bringing the promise of the gospel to our lives. Stay tuned for Table Talk Radio. Welcome to Table Talk Radio. I'm your host, Evan Giglein, and here with Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. Uh, those who are regular listeners to Table Talk Radio usually hear the first couple minutes of Table Talk Radio being uh, hilarity with poking fun at Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. Um, yeah, yeah, that's my favorite part of the whole show. I mean. <laughs> However, we're going to hit the ground running uh, with this uh, show because we are playing, again, Iron Preacher. And, uh, Iron Preacher, yeah! And I'd like to introduce our judge for Iron Preacher. That is Dr. Carl Frekencher, a professor at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Delighted to be here. Thank you, Evan. And uh, the, the challenger of, of the Iron Preacher today is the assistant pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Millsat, Illinois, and the host of Issues Etc., Reverend Todd Wilkin. A pleasure to have you on the show. Evan, thanks for having me. <laughs> nice. And now, straight from the pulpit of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado, the Iron Preacher himself, Brian Wolfmuller. All right, I think we've uh, gone a little bit too far in this. That's the last time I let you take care of the introductions, Pastor Wolfmuller. Okay, well, we need to... I haven't to, heard that yet. I'm choking on my pork here. <laughs> we need to get to this text because we're on a limited time. So the text is uh, Matthew chapter 17, verses... What was that again? Uh, Matthew chapter 17, verses right. 14 through 22. Let me go ahead and read that. We'll let the uh, preachers go ahead and get started as I read it. And this is the text. And when they came up, the multitude... Uh, to the multitude, a man up to him, falling on his knees before him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and very ill, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. I brought him to your disciples, and they could not cure him. And Jesus answered and said, O oh, unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him, and the boy was cured at once. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, Because of the littleness of your faith. 
For truly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it shall move, and nothing shall be impossible to you. But this kind does not come out except even by prayer and fasting. And while they were gathered together in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised up on the third day. And they were deeply grieved. That is the text. Well, the uh, preachers, go ahead and get going on your sermon. What we're looking for is a, a sermon theme and two to three uh, major divisions, and we will get back to you shortly. Uh, Dr. Perkenshi, we will continue our discussion on a proper sermon uh, outline. And uh, for those who, are, who uh, haven't heard our discussion before, you can go on our website, tabletalkradio.org, and pick up on our conversation. But last time we were talking about the importance of having a, a gospel-predominating theme. Um, well, why don't you go ahead and then talk about um, the major divisions, what we're looking for in those major divisions. Sure. A, a sermon, as you've already alluded there, begins with a major point that is to be made. Uh, that is the, the theme, as you've identified it. And the theme should always be a way of declaring Christ to us, a way of, of showing us how Christ is the gospel answer to some significant need of the law. Once we understand what the, the primary point of the sermon is going to be, that is, once the preacher identifies for himself what the primary point of the sermon is going to be, and of course based on the text and the central thought of the text itself, then he wants to start to break down that theme into logical parts. These are what we often refer to as the major divisions, or frequently in homiletical parlance speak of them as Roman numerals. Now that's based on the, the fact that in traditional homiletics it's often uh, they're, they're often numbered with Roman numerals. That's uh, not hard and fast. Certainly the scriptures don't give us that rule at all. But uh, we speak of the major divisions or Roman numerals as the, the major divisions of the, the theme. The theme can be broken down in any number of ways, but I always speak of, of two primary uh, possibilities, one that I speak of as parallel and the other as sequential. Uh, a parallel set of major divisions would be essentially two or three answers to the question that is implied by the text, two or three different ways to see what the text is saying, whereas sequential major divisions would be more like one elongated answer to the question, where the first major division lays out part of the uh, the answer, perhaps it even actually first raises the problem. The second major division builds on the first, and the third builds on the first two, if there are three, or if there are four, two, as the case may be. So uh, in, a, in the case of sequential major divisions, you go from one to the next to the next in what might be drawn as, as sort of a uh, one arrow followed by the next arrow fo followed by the next arrow. Uh, major divisions that are parallel might be seen as uh, lined up in parallel lines on a blackboard, for example, uh, one on top of the other. Uh, the uh, major divisions ultimately have the job then of breaking down the theme so that all the major divisions taken together constitute essentially the one point the sermon is making. What, uh, what major service does this do for the listener? In other words, if someone just 
uh, sat down at their computer, started typing a sermon in their word processor. What would be the difference between that sermon and someone who has broken up their sermon in major divisions? Mm-hmm. Well, it helps the hearers by giving them fewer individual items to process. For example, the, the, the case that you described there where a pastor might begin simply writing sentence number one, then sentence number two, sentence number three, and all the way up to, say, 120 sentences, in the worst-case scenario would actually give the hearers 120 different ideas to process and try to remember. Whereas major divisions group significant numbers of sentences together. Uh, So maybe 20, 30, 40, 50 sentences might essentially add up to one significant point. And another 30, 40, 50 sentences might add up to a second significant point those two significant points together adding up to the one major point of the entire sermon. By clustering together the ideas, in other words, it's sort of like giving um, hearers two or three balls to juggle in the air as opposed to giving them 120 different balls to juggle in the air. By grouping those ideas together, you enable them to understand essentially the, the major thrust of what you're saying and then also remember them much more readily. In fact, it frequently is the case that major divisions are identified in ways that that have certain ear appeal. Uh, I used to to joke with some of my friends who are Baptist pastors. uh, They would say that in Baptist sermons, the major divisions are virtually always alliterative. They always begin with the same letter, like the the power, the purpose, and the point of prayer, all beginning with P. Gotcha, Uh uh-huh. And, and uh, we could joke about that, and sometimes we did kind of laugh about that. But what it was intended to do was make those major divisions memorable to the hearers. They could remember two or three points that began with the same letter, for example. Absolutely. Well, we just have a couple minutes left. Let's check in with our preachers. Uh, first with the challenger, uh-huh. Reverend Wilkin. Uh, with two minutes left, how's your outline looking so far? It was, it was done pretty much after Carl got his first sentence out. <laughs> there you go. That's efficiency. And then uh, with I, I've, uh, I've, Reverend Wolfmiller. I've, I've got a helper here with me, too, uh, with helping with Christmas hymns. But, boy, uh, yours is done already? Are you working on dessert? or Are you kidding me? No, I, was, um, I just spent the last few minutes Googling myself. <laughs> well... Uh, Pastor Wolfner, you just have about a minute and a half then to finish it up. Uh, Dr. Fricanter, maybe in just this last minute or so, um, start to talk about sermon illustrations, what the purpose of illu- uh, sermon illustrations serve. Sure. Uh, sermon illustrations help to make points. They're, they're not the points themselves. Uh, a sermon illustration should never be the thing that people ultimately take away from a sermon, but they might be something that help the hearers take the right thing away from the sermon. Uh, illustrations should be memorable, they should be colorful, they should be things that people can visualize and see and remember as then bridges to significant theological points, uh, bridges to the way the sermon is proclaiming Christ. Uh, Christ, of course, used illustrations extensively. His parables were all essentially illustrations, and Within other discourses, he frequently would step aside to, to make some illustration that would be very common to the people's awareness, whether it was something from uh, the agricultural world of the first century Palestine uh, to uh, uh, things that had to do with the weather, uh, all kinds of things that were very common. And when Jesus would use those illustrations, people would, would recognize the, the, uh, the, the, the concrete reality of the illustration, and from that go then... Uh, to the point that he was actually making, and uh, that enabled them to remember those much more clearly. 
All right. Well, that will bring us to the end of this segment. So the preachers need to stop. Uh, not th- not that uh, Reverend Wilkin needs to worry about that because he's been, you know, uh, drawing pictures and everything since then. So, uh, but let's go to a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back, and we'll take a <laughs> listen to these outlines right after this break. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. In the early 16th century, there was a man named John Tetzel who is remembered for his selling of indulgences to fund the construction of St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. He said, As soon as the coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. Luther, of course, combated this teaching, saying that the indulgence wasn't even worth the paper it was written on. We at Table Talk Radio want to give you something of equal value. For every dollar you donate through our website, tabletalkradio.org, we will send you one Table Talk Radio Point. With this certificate of pretend Table Talk Radio Points, you will be reminded that the points on Table Talk Radio are like the treasury of merits to your salvation. No help whatsoever. Get your pretend Table Talk Radio Points today by clicking the Donate button on our website, tabletalkradio.org. Thanks for listening to Table Talk Radio. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. We're to the point in Iron Preacher where it's time to hear the... Getting carried away over here. I want to. I, I want to hear you do that after after the results of, of the judge. <laughs> I am preacher. Yeah. Oh. Well, here it is. Uh, so, uh, Reverend Wilkin, if you wouldn't mind giving us your sermon outline uh, for Doctor Frankenter's critique. Okay, the theme, if you want it, is. I do. Uh, <clears throat> yes, it's going to be great Jesus, great faith. And uh, here's the outline, or the synopsis, if you will. In this text, we find the disciples at their absolute worst, when they really should be at their very best. We've just come down from the mountain of transfiguration. Three of these guys know beyond a shadow of a doubt who Jesus is. And they've seen him in divine glory, and yet their faith is so lacking, they can't even help the most desperate of demon-possessed children. Jesus' frustration with them is not over the lack of the the, uh, the uh, man's faith who wants his uh, son healed. It's over the lack of the disciples' faith. They're at their absolute worst. The problem is they have Jesus, but they have no faith, or at least they think they have Jesus, but they still have no faith. <clears throat> when Jesus says to them, if you had faith as a mustard seed, he isn't talking about having little faith. He's talking about having any faith at all. If you had any faith at all, you could say to this mountain, move over there, and it would move for you. So what the the problem that the disciples have is um, little Jesus. The reason they have so little or no faith is because they have so little or no Jesus. And this is us. Uh, This is our real problem. Our problem is unbelief. It manifests itself in sin, in the things we think and say and do. But our real heart problem is unbelief. If we had any faith at all, 
our lives would be very, very different than the ones we lead in thought, word, and deed. The answer that Jesus provides is not to talk about how to make your faith greater, but by talking about himself. He says there at the very end of the text, the Son of Man is about to be delivered in the hands of men. They're going to kill him, and he's going to be raised from, from the dead on the third day. He gives them himself. He makes the promise of his death and resurrection. He gives them great Jesus, and by giving them great Jesus, he gives them great faith. The question, the only question remaining to be answered, is how is Jesus great? Is Jesus great because he performs remarkable miracles? Is Jesus great because he's a marvelous teacher? Is Jesus great because he appears in glory with Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration? No. Any old God can do that. Jesus is a different kind of great. He's the kind of great that goes to Jerusalem, suffers for us, dies for us, and rises again on the third day. When you have that Jesus, you don't have to worry about the size of your faith, mustard seed or mountain, it makes no difference. When you have that Jesus, you have Jesus at his greatest, and that is great faith. All right, in just uh, two or three minutes, Dr. Fikensher, if you would offer your critique of Reverend Wilkins' uh, sermon. I like that a lot. Uh, this is a very, very challenging text, to say the least, not only because uh, it brings together several elements that initially seem rather disjointed, uh, an exorcism, um, a discussion of, of faith, and then also uh, Jesus, again, predicting his death and resurrection, but also because within those disparate parts, there is some very challenging theology, and I think uh, Pastor Wilkins has hit the nail on the head. The challenging theology there certainly is looking at this idea of the significance of strength of faith. It is a very common problem today for people, uh, a, a common problem in terms of uh, misunderstanding of good theology, for people to look at faith and think that faith itself is really the answer. It almost amounts to faith in faith. Is your faith strong enough? And a person could look at, at these words of Jesus. If you had uh, faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, you, you could, could move mountains and, and say, well, I guess my faith must just be too, strong, too weak, not strong enough. And, and may, the focus then becomes on how can I get stronger faith? Stronger faith never comes by uh, working on faith. Stronger faith comes when Christ and his greatness is declared to us. And then to see the answer uh, for declaring Christ to us in Christ's real greatness, that is, those words of prediction of his suffering, death, resurrection, rather than in what has preceded the transfiguration, is a, a, a very appropriate and absolutely correct answer, I think, uh, not only according to this text, but in, in terms of understanding Christ himself all along. The, the uh, misunderstanding about the transfiguration, the, the, the verses that immediately precede this text in Matthew 17, would be to say that Jesus showing his brightness is, is really the epitome of his glory. His real glory, his real greatness, is when he suffers on the cross looking uh, anything but great, anything but glorious. And when Christ on the cross is declared to us, that is the very thing that creates, strengthens, maintains faith. Very good. All right, Pastor Wilfram, you have your work cut out for you. You better give us your outline. 
Well, you're not going to believe this, but my outline is exactly the same <laughs> as the one that Tom just made. Well, the, it's unbelievable, almost word for and, word. And, and Pastor Wolf, you already know the, the, the result of a draw in Iron Preacher. <laughs> <laughs> wow, how convenient. Yeah. All right, here's, the, here, here's my outline here. Uh, the, here's the theme. Jesus brings the kingdom of God, which sets sinners free from the devil, sin, and death. Uh, the outline, I've got four parts, introduction, a couple parts in the middle, and then a conclusion. The introduction is, Jesus is always casting out demons. His ministry is like a lightning rod for demonic activity. We see more demons around Jesus uh, than we do in all the rest of the scriptures. But even so, humanity, as a, a lump leavened by the curse, is naturally under the influence of demonic activity. We are born into the devil's kingdom, John 8, which is manifest in unbelief and in despair and in other great shame and vice. But, as God promised to Adam and Eve in the garden, Genesis 3.15, Jesus came to overthrow the kingdom of the devil, to destroy his works, 1 John 3.8, to cast him out, Matthew 12, and to throw him from the Father's face, Revelation 12, so that he can no longer accuse us of our sinfulness. And he does this now as he did then through this, his suffering and death on the cross, being handed over into the hands of men that we might live forever in the gracious hands and kingdom of God. Very good. Okay, Dr. Pekencher, again, about three minutes to respond. Uh, this one, I think, has a, a, as its primary advantage the fact that it does look uh, rather specifically at uh, a particular problem uh, that is very, very relevant and immediate for your hearers. Uh, the fact that we are indeed under mankind, I think that was your second major, uh, that rather mankind is under the influence of the devil, I think that was your second major division. Uh, that can be elaborated in the sermon with, with some excellent uh, application, and I think that could be uh, very, very helpful. Uh, you did also a nice job, I think, of bringing together the rather disparate elements in the text, and I think that was uh, uh, also a, a very nice job. The, the matter of faith, though, I think is a, a challenging one here in this text that wasn't addressed here. Uh, those verses, th those words of Jesus about the, the faith, the size of the grain of mustard seed, are, are so um, uh, disquieting, perhaps, to a hearer that I think a sermon on this text would really do very well to address those. You know, that's, that's the question the disciples ask. Why couldn't we cast this, this demon out? And, and then Jesus responds to that with the, the discussion of faith, which is then clarified. I, I think that's something that really should be addressed simply because the hearers would have a big question as they hear those verses of the text read. Uh, I think these are both very fine outlines for this, this text. Both of them take us where ultimately the text takes us, where all of Scripture really takes us, where the gospel takes us, that is, to the cross of Christ as the ultimate answer. Uh, I believe in this case, is it time for a decision? It is time for a decision. <laughs> On this one, I'm going with the challenger. Uh-oh. <laughs> Well, oh, uh, the iron preacher is, is dethroned. From his <laughs> dethroned. So, uh, Reverend, welcome. Would you be available to be the new co-host of uh, Table Talk Radio? <laughs> you know, I've already got a gig. It, it <laughs> takes most of my time. Just going to keep Brian on for a while. <laughs> All right. Look, he's he's not looking for a promotion, Evan. Yeah. He's not looking for a promotion. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that'd be a big promotion. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you, Dr. Fercante, for for being a, the judge once again on uh, Iron Preacher here on Table Talk Radio. My pleasure. And as long as you keep recruiting such excellent preachers, I, I'd be delighted to come back anytime. All right. Well, we'll, we'll see what we can do. Uh, and uh, Reverend Wilkin, would you like to, to stay on Table Talk Radio uh, to talk about uh, law and gospel after this? Absolutely. All right. Well, we'll do that right after this commercial break. More Table Talk Radio coming your way after this historic day uh, on the Iron Preacher where Brian Wolfmiller is no longer. <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be right back on Table Talk Radio. Hi, this is Evan Gigline. We at Table Talk Radio are concerned with the proclamation of the gospel for the salvation of the world. With this includes the expansion of Table Talk Radio. We would like to have Table Talk Radio broadcasted on as many radio stations as possible to proclaim the life and work of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of all sin. But we need your help. Many radio stations across America allow religious programming in their lineup on a particular day, usually Sunday mornings, providing the programs pay for their airtime. Perhaps a radio station in your area would be willing to play table talk radio, and a local business or church would be willing to help support the costs incurred. If you would like to discuss this possibility in your area, please call our toll-free number 866 866- Eight five one five five two three. Leave a message, and I will personally return your phone call promptly to discuss this possibility. Thank you for your consideration in expanding Table Talk Radio for the sake of the gospel. Weeping lasts for a moment, but rejoicing always comes in the morning. Uh, welcome back to Table Talk Radio, Pastor Wolf. Is that your rejoicing over the fact that I've been <laughs> dethroned as the Iron Preacher? Oh, come or on. You know, I, or is it my, my weeping, which has only lasted for the break, and, <laughs> and now that now that we're back, I'm ready to go? Now we're back. Well, I want to remind all our listeners to check out our website, tabletalkradio.org, uh, where they can uh, talk about this very episode on our forum and also listen to some extra interviews and such on uh, our Table Scraps page. So do check out that, check out that page, with, um, tabletalkradio.org. Well, let's move along then to our to our next game, Law and or Gospel. Pastor Wolfman, do you want to explain how this game works? Yeah, the way it works is we like we had in uh, Iron Preacher, we have it again um, here in this segment as well, that this we know that the Scriptures really, uh, that God with the Scriptures is doing two things. He's killing us and he's making us alive. He kills us with his word of law, and he makes us alive with his word of gospel. So the word of the law is God's commands, which, because we are sinners, show us our own weakness, our failures, our unholiness and unworthiness to stand before God. But then the law comes in with what Jesus has done for us and gives us the forgiveness of all of our sins and justifies us, makes us uh, holy and perfect in the sight and eyes of God. So what we want to do, and not just in this game in the next few minutes, but also in, in our lives, we want to always be, when we read the scriptures, when we listen to someone preaching, when we listen to, uh, when we read books, Christian books, even not Christians, but we want to ask the question, is this telling me the law, or is it telling me the gospel, or is it telling me both? 
And we have a professional in this, uh, 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 Pastor Todd Wilkin on the line with us, who's going who's gonna to help us out as we go along. And I think there's even points on the line, 200 points per question here. So there you go. Yeah, and what are, the, goes. what are those points worth again? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't have any ditties. I've totally forgot. The, the points on Table Talk Radio are like, are like my Iron Preacher poster in my in my room here. <laughs> Completely worthless. Totally useless. <laughs> All, right. All right. Well, let's get started on this. And now game. defunct. What's that? Now dethroned. Now I have a, well. <laughs> a big red circle with a mark right through the middle. Iron Preacher no more. Oh, sad. <laughs> All right. Let's get started with this game, Law and or Gospel. Okay, here's the first one. Uh, th- this is a verse from Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. And we're going to read the verse and then simply ask the question, law or gospel? And she will bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. There it is. That's it. All right, Reverend Wilkin, would that be law and or gospel? Well, this will be predominantly gospel because... It really is the answer to the uh, the question put in place in Genesis chapter 2 where Adam and Eve have cast themselves, creation, and all their descendants into sin and death. And we don't get the answer to that question and the fulfillment of the, uh, the promise made by God through the curse of the serpent. Uh, they're in the third chapter of Genesis until the angel speaks those words. It's gospel. It's all comfort. So is that 200 points then, Pastor Wolfmuller? That's right. Look, he, he not only has he taken my throne, but now he's taking my points. <laughs> Wilkin, 200 <laughs> points. All right, this is right, we're just warming up here. We're just warming up. Here's another text then. We're, we're in the shadow of Christmas uh, as this show is airing, so we have another Christmas text here. This is Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 14. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. All right, Reverend Wilkin, a chance for another 200 points, law and or gospel. This is both. This is uh, predominantly good news, but then you can't get past those two references to fear. That there is fear. Uh, on the part of the shepherds, <clears throat> the angels know it. They are aware of the fact that, uh, that not only their presence, but this entire event, uh, can, God is coming into earth. God is entering human, uh, our, our human realm and history right now. And, uh, in doing this, everybody should be afraid. God is arriving on earth and, uh, uh, that should scare everybody. The fact that it that it scares the shepherds is uh, is fitting, 
And it's because they realize that as God enters our human realm, as he is here through the womb of the Virgin Mary, uh, he's coming to judge. What they don't know yet and what inspires their fear is that uh, this judge comes first to save and only then to judge the world. So it's both. The comfort that uh, uh, in the face of their natural and appropriate fear at the appearance of God is that this God comes to save, to bring peace and reconciliation between heaven and earth. Absolutely right. Another 200 points awarded to Reverend Wilkin. Are you keeping the track of those there, Evan? Yes, you have zero. Well, I'm a... and, uh... well I haven't had a question yet. <laughs> you had an opportunity now, look, I during think... Iron Preacher to... to... <laughs> I, uh, Luther says that these angels are the most profound theologians and that their song that they sing, the Gloria Patri, or not the Gloria Patri, the Gloria Celsius here, uh, is is really a summary of all of theology. It, is that... When we, when we have the gospel coming forth, it gives glory to God. In other words, he has all the credit for all the work of salvation, and it gives comfort and peace to men, uh, peace to those on whom his favor rests. And so, and, and so this is really the role of all of the preaching of the gospel, is to give glory to God and, and peace and comfort to men. Uh, and we have that um, when we're rightly dividing law and gospel. So, nice. Very well. Done. All right. Okay, that's we're through with the warm up with the with the uh slow balls here. <laughs> They're going to get a little bit trickier. Uh here's a text from uh 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 5. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. All right, Pastor Wilkin, it's up to you. Well, it is the text as it reads simply by itself is almost entirely law. It's a it's a in one sense it's a practical warning not to pronounce any final judgment because that belongs only to God and that that judgment is coming. And judgment can't be anything for us sinners except a fearful proposition. He lays before us the prospect of having uh, not only our deeds, but the motivations of our heart discerned in that judgment. And if we're honest with ourselves, and if we're judged on that basis, then we will uh, most certainly be condemned. So there's mostly law here. I would add as a little appendix that uh, for the Christian, he will always see the coming judgment in light of the judgment that's already come, the judgment Christ under, underwent on our behalf. So the Christian faces the prospect of having his life laid open and all of the thoughts of his heart discerned by a perfect and righteous judge. He faces that prospect knowing that there is no more judgment left over for him. Uh, God has spent all of his righteous judgment upon his son, Jesus Christ, who bore our sins. Uh, Paul does not say that in the text. He's warning them with stern words of the law. Uh, and for those who are apart from Christ, it's nothing but law. For those who know that the judgment has already come and gone in Christ's death and, death and resurrection for us, we can hear the the uh, the glimmers of that in this text, but by itself it's law. Pastor Wilkin is up to 600 points now. 
you love this. You really do love it. He's going to be calling you really to ask you if you want to come on to be co-host, Todd. I'm telling you. But just to comfort those, uh, the, all of you listening and say, now, wait a minute. Are you really saying that the Christian won't be judged? I mean, here, Jesus says this very thing, and, and this is one of the most marvelous and comforting verses. It's John five twenty four. one of these verses that we should write in gold. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So we have exactly like you said, Todd, this marvelous comfort for the Lord's Christians. Uh, that that the the Lord Jesus has been judged in our place, and, and now has opened up the we'll, way to we'll us to everlasting life. Well, people should should understand that when Judgment Day comes, we'll be there. They're not gonna, we're not gonna be exempt from the day. The day's coming; it's gonna include us, but it includes Christ too. And since it includes Christ, who's already been judged in our place. Uh, the way that the Bible describes it, quite rightly, as you quoted there, it is passing, having already passed through judgment. And, uh, and so the second judgment, the judgment after the cross, um, cannot disturb us. Although we know what it, what we would deserve if we faced it apart from Christ, it can't disturb us when we know we face it with Christ. And that is actually going to bring us to the end of this uh, first part of the game, Law and or Gospel. Don't forget to call our listener response line. The phone number for that is 866-851-5523. I always forget to have you give us the number because I know you know. It's, I know you don't know it. <laughs> 866-IRON-PREACHER. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's not the number. 866-851-5523 is the number. And uh, let's go to a quick break. We'll come back and we'll continue playing uh, Law and or Gospel with a little bit of a different twist. But stay tuned for more Table Talk Radio. Welcome back to the last segment of Table Talk Radio. In the middle of playing this game, uh, Law and or Gospel, we just got to uh, playing with uh, Pastor Wilkin of, of Issues, etc., and the Assistant Pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Millstadt, Illinois. Uh, and let's let's then take a look at, at some of these uh, popular theologians of the day, and uh, we'll play some of them. Uh, this first one uh, is is Pastor Rick Warren. You know, it's, it's interesting. We, we just got done uh, playing Iron Preacher, and with Dr. McKinsey, we're talking... Uh, about uh, sermon themes and the importance of them. Uh, here, uh, Pastor Pastor Wilkin Todd, uh, he uh, Rick Warren gives us a list of, of upcoming sermons, and I want you to tell us whether these sermons coming up would be law and or gospel. Here it is. A new series that I'm calling "Helping Friends Through Tough Times." We spent a month, or actually 40 days, looking at uh, 40 days of love. And during the month of November, we're going to call it Love in Action Month, where we're going to practice using our hands and our feet and our hearts uh, to actually show love uh, to others around us in, in the community, including protesters, by the way. Um, and uh, 
we're going to specifically focus on how do you be a friend? Because if you're ever going to learn how to really love, you've got to learn how to be a true friend to the people in your life. Okay, if I was going to listen to a sermon by Rick Warren entitled, How to Be a Friend, uh, would that be law and or gospel? Well, uh, the way he's laid it out there, uh, this is classic how-to Christianity. How-to Christianity always misses the point. What it does is it takes uh, the set thing that should be in second place and puts it in first place. And in uh, by putting second things first, first things get for- completely forgotten. Uh, Rick Warren is a master at conveniently forgetting that works are the fruit of faith and not the other way around. So what he's trying to do is hang good tree on a good fruit on bad trees. He needs to worry about the kind of trees he has in front of him. And if he uh, can bring forth crops of a good trees, that is, those who trust in Jesus' works and not their own, then the fruit will follow. And he can then be, then he can be a, a good teacher and teaches people what it means to be a friend, uh, rather than, than, uh, how to be a friend. There's a big difference between being made, uh, making oneself into a good friend by your own efforts and works, and being declared righteous before God for Christ's sake, and then being made the new creation that is, in Christ, uh, able then to befriend even your enemies. Uh, Jesus says words like, love your enemies, uh, and he doesn't, he, you notice he never tells you how. Never tells you how to love your enemies. He just tells you to do it. The only answer to that stern word of law is not a how-to manual, which it sounds like that's what Rick Warren's getting ready to do. The answer to that is, I gotta change who I am if I'm going to love my enemies. And since I can't change who I am, someone else has to do it. And that change comes only by the forgiveness of sin. And so, uh, I would be, this is going to be law, I can guarantee you. It's going to be affably presented with a big smile <laughs> on everyone's face. They'll all walk away convinced that they've heard good Christian preaching. They'll all walk away convinced that they're going to be able to pull it off convinced that Warren knows how to pull it off, and yet, because it's all law, it's going to do nothing but either drive these four people into despair in and frustration in their own futile efforts, or it's going to make a bunch of Pharisees out there at Saddleback who think they're doing it and don't need Jesus to help them. So it's law. 200 more points brings you to 800 Table Talk radio points. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we, ha- we have a- another one from your second favorite theologian um, after Rick Warren. I thought I thought these were your favorite theologians. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just, you know, can't stop reading the first sermon life. I read it over and over and over. <laughs> trying to get it right nice. every time. <laughs> All right, well, here's the next clip uh, for your evaluation of this law and or gospel. But if you're going to tap into that hidden treasure, you've got to be willing to go where you haven't been before. If you're going to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. You can't stay in your safe zone your whole life and expect to reach your highest potential. You've got to be willing to take some risk. It's interesting, when Peter walked on the water, there were other disciples in the boat. 
those other men sitting beside Peter, they had the same potential to walk on the water. Why was Peter the only one that did it? Peter was the only one willing to get out of his comfort zone and try something that he'd never tried before. He was the only one, so to speak, that released that potential. You have potential in you right now for every opportunity that God will bring across your path. But you've got to be like Peter and get out of your safe zone and get over into the faith zone. That's where you're stretching yourself. That's where you're putting a demand on your potential. Tricky. Uh, now, Todd, there, there's more to address than just the law and or gospel question. But first, is it law and or gospel? And then I'll let you have your, your critique with uh, what uh, Osteen just said. Well, it's pure law. In fact, um, huh. um, I want to say that it is, it is it's pure Osteen law, because it's certainly not God's law. I mean, if he were saying that we fail to live up to even the little potential that we have, that might be, you might say that, that that's God's law, but this isn't even God's law. This is Osteen law. Um, it, it, it's, it's not right, it's not even wrong. It's just error. But if you had to classify it in, in pure terms of law and gospel, it's law. Absolutely. Well, we have we have one more clip for you uh, within this camp. Oh, I got to say one more thing about. Oh, it, please, though. please. Let me say one more thing about Joel Osteen. Uh, this is amazing to me because if you played that clip for the average uh, Christian out there who is not um, who has not been taught to, as a listener, discern law from gospel and God's word, which is extremely important. Our preachers need to be able to discern law and gospel as they preach. Our listeners need to be able to do it as they listen. If you played this for the average Christian, he would swear up and down that that's good news, because Joel Osteen makes it sound like good news. And this is the real insidious thing about Osteen, the how-to preachers and the potential preachers and the you-can-do-it preachers is the way it's presented makes it sound like good news. People walk away thinking they've heard the gospel, but they haven't. They've heard nothing but law. They think they've heard good news, but they've heard the worst news. And this kind of law has a power. It has a power to rob people of, of uh, faith because it never points them to Jesus Christ. And that's a real danger of it, too, uh, that, that it... Um... Uh, th- that you think you're hearing something good, you, uh, you're hearing it with a smile, and you're hearing it well presented, and this sort of thing. You think you're he- hearing something that you're taking your medicine, but really, uh, you're taking poison, and it's uh, it's leading to spiritual death. It's really terrible. Yeah, that's right. Well, uh, Todd, you are up to one thousand points, and we have one more theologian within the same camp um, to listen to. So here's the last theologian. But if we stand before him as sinners. despairing of ourselves and our goodness. And we despair of all of our weak and embarrassing attempts to attain righteousness. If we stand before Him like the sinner did, begging His mercy, then the Lord Jesus has His blood for us to cover all of our sin. This is the gift of justification. Of His giving us His righteousness and perfection and holiness. For dear saints, it's sinners 
who go home justified. All right, Todd, we have about a minute and a half. Is that law and or gospel? <laughs> well, it's, it's, uh, it's actually both. Uh, it is, uh, and it's the proper division of the two. It is the fact that we are sinners, which is never, ever, ever good news. Uh, that puts us on the wrong side of God. But as Pastor Wolf Miller, I believe it was, that said, that it is, uh, that it is for sinners that Jesus has come. And I don't know how often Jesus says this himself, not for the healthy, but the sick, not for the righteous, but for the unholy. Paul says, this is a trustworthy saying, worthy of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am foremost to count ourselves among sinners, is not a, in and of itself good news until we realize that it is for sinners that Jesus lived and died. And then suddenly, in a kind of ironic way, being a sinner becomes the best possible thing you can be if you want Jesus. Because Jesus wants nothing to do with people who have no sin and who don't need him. And uh, the great good news there, the comfort is that it is precisely for sinners just like us that Jesus gave his life. And we're not bold, or we do not, or we're not bold, we do not boast of our sinfulness. But in spite of our sinfulness, well, just like that publican with his eyes uh, averted from God's righteousness, God be merciful to me, the sinner. This is precisely the position every Christian needs to be in every Sunday, that is, receiving as a gift from Christ his righteousness as a substitute for our unrighteousness. That's right. Uh, I'm going to double your points for that answer, so you uh, end up with 2,000 Table Talk <laughs> radio points being the winner of, of today's game. Thank you for being on the program. And again, this gets me nothing. This, these points get me absolutely nothing. Yeah, that's right. Nothing at all. <laughs> Sorry. They're not, they're, you, I guess you could redeem them at the Table Talk Radio uh, company store. Oh, yeah, we have a merchandise shop on our website, tabletalkradio.org. <laughs> you, can, you can get a, a doggy dish with our, with our faces on it. <laughs> yeah, your 2,000 points and 10 bucks will, will buy you a Table Talk Radio uh, bib. <laughs> and, I'll, I'll give it some thought. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thanks for being on the program. Thanks a million, Todd. need to do it, both of you. Brian, Evan, thanks a lot. Keep up the good work. All right, Pastor Wolfman, why don't you take us out of the, out of the show here? Well, look at I, that. The last bit was preached when I was still the Iron Preacher, but I remember what it was like. It's true that w what we have—the only thing good we have—is Jesus and His Word and promises of forgiveness for us. That's it. it. Apart from that, we've got nothing—just our sin and our death. Uh, but with Jesus, we we have everything in the world, and that gospel is what sustains us in this life and even in our death to the life to come. So we pray that all of you listening out there would uh, continue to be kept in that faith by the Holy Spirit, that we would all rejoice together in the Lord's gifts that come, they come from the gospel. Thanks for listening, and we'll, we'll catch you next time on Table Talk Radio. You've been listening to Table Talk Radio. The views expressed on this show are that of the hosts and do not reflect the views or opinions of this station. We would like to answer your questions concerning theology, the scriptures, or anything else. Send your questions to questions at tabletalkradio.org or leave us a voicemail message 866-851-5523. Be sure to check out our website, tabletalkradio.org. Thanks for listening, and tune in again next time to Table Talk Radio.